What's up, guys? Roy here, and you're listening to the Balance Mail podcast series. Tonight's episode will be a dad talk. I will be joined by a dad named Bob Lieb. Bob Lieb is not just a dad of six kids. He is also a doctor of chiropractic and owner and operator of Rosemont Chiropractic here in Virginia Beach. I know that tonight we will have a lot to share and a lot to talk about, so I hope you guys enjoy. Darn it. Bob, thank you for coming on today. Um, it's a pleasure to have you on here on this podcast, sharing your story with us. Um, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to everybody. Hi, everyone. It's, a, it's an honor to be here. Uh, introducing myself, I mean, you said pretty much, you know, this is me. I'm, I'm a chiropractor and uh, been a big part of my life and just honored to be able to be here to talk about something as important as fatherhood. Nice. Um, yeah, I know we'll have a lot to talk about here. Um, first off, as always, we talk about the um, beverage the dad chose to drink while we're here and you chose a nice cabernet uh it's alamos cabernet um i did not know that you're a big wine drinker tell me about it i do like wine (laughs) um i you know i like the uh cabernets are my favorite and uh, my wife loves malbecs and so she's been getting into me into these malbecs and we've been discovering the uh the South American varieties. <laughs> of, uh, they're a little bit drier and very flavorful, so I really love them, and they're light. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I don't know too much about wine. Um, I don't know. I, my friend Erin is a... Uh, she works for a wine distribution company, and she can tell me all sorts of the things when it comes to varietals and what we're supposed to taste or anything like that, but... Uh, I just know the ones I like. I like cabs. I like Malbecs. I do not like Chardonnays. Um, that's about as far as I've gotten with that's that. Good. That's good. Um, <laughs> Too sweet. Yeah. So starting off, um, how many kids do you have? So kids, um, I have a daughter and a son that are uh, from me, so to speak, and I have two stepdaughters, uh, the, with the, my wife's daughters, and in my previous marriage, um, I have two stepkids, a boy and a girl, also. Mm-hmm. So six altogether, and four that are in my immediate family, and two that I, uh, you know, sometimes struggle to try and keep in touch with, mm-hmm. based on where they've been in their life and where I am in mine. Mm-hmm. Cool. I'm really uh, glad that you're coming on to talk. I wanted to swing swing back a little bit because I was going to share that you're the oldest dad I've had right now, um, not to take a knock at you. And um, it's going to be cool uh, to hear your insight on like dealing with your kids who are adults now. Um, and it's also going to be great to uh, sh- hear your take on fatherhood being that you have sort of a blended family with, you know, stepkids and divorce and things like that. Um, that's awesome. I'm glad that you're here to share that with us. Um, 
So, real quick, um, if you want to tell me one or one of your kids' birth stories that you remember. Well, I can I, I, I can tell you my my daughter's and my son. So my daughter is uh, coming up here on twenty seven here in September. My son, which I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit before the night's over, uh, is coming up on four. Tell me about so, it. So, so little Bobby. So we'll uh, be <laughs> we'll explain that <laughs> before the night's over, um, how that all happened. <laughs> but um, my daughter, saw my daughter first. I mean, she, her birth story was one of uh, you know being a chiropractor. We wanted to try and have as natural a birth as possible. Um, years back, and it was uh, you know not really an accepted thing back then. But we did have a got set up with a midwife and went through Centara uh, Lee um, Hospital at the time. They had a birthing center there, really good. Um, a little bit was a little bit more modern back then. Um, so we were pretty adamant. You know, these are the things that we want to have done. You know, you know, we didn't didn't want to do the epidural thing we we're going to go all natural we were just going to do this and uh about 30 or so hours in uh my wife said i've had enough <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and uh and ironically you know with all the tension and the fear and all the stuff that you go through in that moment um she had the epidural i remember they missed the first time uh and then i insisted that i was going to be fine in the room because i'm a doctor and you know i'm fine and took away the point that I'd been up for, you know, I don't even know how many 40 hours at that point, <laughs> you know, and when I saw the blood filling back up into the tube, I got a little lightheaded and <laughs> the nurse screamed at me. She says, I let you stay in here and you better not pass out on me because <laughs> my hands are full with your wife right now. <laughs> and she like yelled at me and snapped me right out of it. So I, I probably was going down, but, um, but yeah, but she had the epidural and then, you know, just it was it was only moments later that her body just kind of relaxed a little bit, and, and my daughter was born. Mm -hmm. So that was that was a kind of our intense, you know, kind of moment with that was just you know trying to make that decision. You know, what are we trying to stick with our guns and our morals and our ethics and what's right and what we believe to be right, and really just having to adapt in that moment. Mm -hmm. And when we did, everything was great. So, uh, and my daughter was born, and then the. Second part of that was watching the doctor uh, rotate and twist my daughter's head so far uh, as he tried to create traction to pull her out, mm -hmm. you know, and aid in the delivery. And um, he and I had talked about that before. Like, I really didn't want that being done, you know. And so he just did his thing. You know, he was in the moment doing his thing. And for me, I just, you know, wanted to punch him. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because it's not when I saw how far he was twisting my kid's head I was like you gotta be kidding me um, and that's just a natural thing that they do but you know immediately I'm like man how many kids are being subluxated at birth you know just how far do they twist these kids heads to try and create that tightness and tautness and traction to try and be able to pull a shoulder through you know mm -hmm. and so it was only moments um, after the birthing process and cutting the cord and doing all that stuff and getting her cleaned up before I had my hands on her neck and uh, palpating her and, and feeling for subluxations and, you know, adjusting an infant is incredibly gentle um, and soft and pressure and it doesn't take very much. And um, I remember her crying, 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 and then adjusting her and immediately she stopped crying. 
it was just like a such a powerful like surreal moment like you just something you never forget mm-hmm. you know and then she got handed off to mom and and everything's been great ever since so um my son's birth story was a little different you know um we were a little older uh my wife and I met, you know, late, a little later, later on in life. We had the kids uh, moving out of the house. And, you know, we were planning on uh, setting up our life of traveling the world. And, you know, all the things we were going to do and all the things we dreamed about with our, what we were going to do with our retirement. And, uh, you know, we went off to Mexico. I think it was only our second time, like, going somewhere on a vacation together. And it was... I had planned this because this was going to be a big one for us. And I planned this trip to Mexico and the beach and the hotel and Valentine's Day. And uh, I was going to ask her to marry me. You know, it was like this big, like big event, Mm -hmm. you know, so I I really wanted it to be amazing. And, uh, you know, it was. So she said yes, (laughs) which was great (laughs) Um, on the beach in Mexico. And then a couple of nights later was Valentine's Day and it was this beautiful celebration and romantic and we drank tequila and we stayed up really late and we danced and danced and danced and played and laughed and met friends and uh, made friends with new people and we just had this amazing night and we went back to our room and made love and and I swear to you, man, I swear. You know, I remember in that moment thinking there was so much love and so much passion. I was like, man, I wonder if I just got her pregnant. It was like I had a feeling, like in my gut. It was so weird. It was so weird. <laughs> and uh, you know, and I let it go. I'm like, whatever. You know, we've been drinking. I'm just being silly. I'm being over dramatic. Whatever. And I just, so I let it go. You know. And then months later, I got a uh, a test strip thrown at me while I was doing some consulting for a bunch of chiropractors. We do some consulting stuff, and it, she throws this test strip down while I'm in the middle of a of a coaching call, and says, "I want you to think about that." So I went and started thinking, oh, our daughters are growing up. It has to be one of our daughters, and which one could it be? Never did it enter my mind. It was us. So, <laughs> uh, And then there's all these jokes now about how we got through customs and we didn't declare him. And <laughs> should we, were we going to name him Pepe or, <laughs> you know, all kinds of fun stuff. But um, then his birth story, you know. We're like I said, we're not young, and you know we thought about and we discussed a lot. You know, let's do the natural thing, and she just never felt like it was a good idea. You know, she felt like was, our age is too risky. Um, you know, we knew we at this point we had the blessing of knowing we both had always wanted a boy. We we're having a boy, and you know yeah. this is it's a major moment for us. And uh, so I honored her. I honored what she wanted to do, and um, you know we back to the hospital scene again and and honestly thank god it was it was a rough 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 delivery i mean hours of uh pushing and um you know he was right there and she was in agonizing pain um in the spot in her mid back and they were trying to bend her and twist her and curl her up and you know they 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 everybody just said let's just step out of the room and let her be for a minute and i talked to her for a little bit and i went out and i talked to the doctors and nurse i said look I said, can we do this without you curling her all up in a ball and let her just be a little more natural position and let's get her, you know, more straightened out and elevated and let her push. And and they all just kind of rolled their eyes a little bit, but they, they did. They allowed it. And, uh, and he came out. They got him out. And so, but it was a tough, it was a tough process. And, you know, she was shocked. 
um, from what she had to go through. And, and in my heart, I was like, man, we we made the right decision again. There's no way I would have wanted to try and go through something like that at home, mm-hmm. even though that would be my first choice, you know, just to do a home birth. But so that's a, those are my th- those are the two birth stories. And, uh, you know, the boy came out uh, cooing and making noises and the nurse. I was like, oh, look at that. That's adorable. And right away, the nurse was like, oh, he might have some breathing problem. They only do that when they have breathing problems. And I was like, huh, OK, so I know right away he's in the little that little plastic bin, you know, on the side, you know, under the little hot lamp, keeping him warm and they're cleaning him up. And right away I said, I'm going to adjust him again, you know, uh-huh. to his, to his, uh, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, but he hasn't stopped talking since. <laughs> yeah, he's been talk- I didn't realize he was just a talker. Now that he's four years old, I mean, the kid never shuts up, man. He yeah. just always asking questions, always communicating. It's like a big deal from him. You know, you got to look him in the face. You got to look him in the eye. He's always like, Dad, put your phone down. I'm talking to you right now. You know, you know, and he's not even four yet. You know, it's like, okay, Bob, what's up? You know, like, he says, I'm not looking at you. Okay, I have to look at you. You know, but he loves talking, man. Yeah. That's it. That's a. 23 years in between my two kids story of how we ended up here and now. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. Um, a lot of stuff popped in my head as you're talking, um, that I want to talk about before we get more into this fatherhood thing. I'm laughing at your, (laughs) you had these plans with your wife (laughs) to do all these things. And then, And then here comes your son. I, you know, it, for me, it's kind of like my wife and I. I didn't, I didn't know if I wanted to have kids, um, and that's just it's just a long story. But then I decided that it was something that you know I did want to explore, and I wanted to be a father. But the conversation for us was we're gonna get a dog first, because I've always wanted, a, I've always wanted a big old fat lazy bulldog ever since I was a little kid. And so I was having the story of like, you know, I think I do want to be a father, but I really have wanted this dog. It was just something about like watching guys with their attachment, like their little dog sitting in the seat with them going around an air and stuff like that. I wanted that. I thought like in a way the dog was going to prepare me for fatherhood. So, you know, it kind of was like, okay, I get a dog and she gets, she gets a kid. Well, a month into the conversation, my wife's pregnant, and we don't have a dog yet. <laughs> so we can have all these plans, but you never know. Life just, you never know. yeah, um, life makes its own decisions for you sometimes. Um, before we get in, more into this fatherhood thing, I do want to talk about kind of health and chiropractic because you did right out the gate mention subluxations, palpating, adjustments, and I know that some people aren't going to know what exactly that is and i know that being a chiropractor your viewpoint on health is different than you know most people for example there's not people that would be like i need to or would even look when the the doctor is twisting the head to think anything different and your first thought is that's not okay let's you know i need to we need to fix or we need to adjust the kid right out the gate so maybe kind of talk about you know you're a chiropractor why did you become a chiropractor maybe even like your viewpoint of health 
um, a little bit, and maybe because because I think you're gonna deal with issues differently than most fathers when it comes to health. So maybe explore that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I I can think of like a couple of moments that I think are good examples, and um, but I became to go back, you know, to answer your questions in order. Um, my one became a chiropractor because I knew I wanted to help people wanted to I was in all kinds of pre-med classes um, at the time and then I hurt my back working with my dad who was an electrician third generation second generation electrician and uh, and I went to the doctor and he was like well here's this pain pill you know, and, and I took it and I took it for a couple of days and I felt like I was just high as a kite. I think it had some kind of codeine or something in it. And I was like messed up. I, I couldn't work. I couldn't do anything. You know, my dad's like yelling at me like, what the hell's wrong with you? Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I don't know. It's just medicine. So I ended up going back to the doctor. When I went back the second time to him and said, hey, the, I don't, this medicine man is messing me up. Can I have something different? He took it probably the exact opposite of what I meant, which was I don't want to feel messed up but I don't want to be in pain. He thought I wanted something stronger. So it was the way he heard me, you know? So uh, he started asking me all these questions on how's your relationship with your family and you're getting along with your parents and you have a girlfriend and you guys fight and you're getting along with your girlfriend. I'm like, where's all this coming from? Like, I didn't even understand. And I just left really kind of frustrated. You know, I'm saying, you know, this is my pediatrician from when I was a little kid, you know, and I was like, well, whatever, I'm just not going to not going to do these medications anymore and i ended up a buddy of mine uh my buddy danny uh got me into this uh whole world of chiropractic and introduced me to this stuff and he was in classes in the same undergrad we graduated the same high school and uh he you know just kind of opened the door it was like a whole different light you know you go in and you get an examination and, and i was realizing like the doctor's asking me questions that the the, the chiropractor was asking me questions that the doctor didn't ask. And he actually touched the spot on my back and the other, my medical doctor at the time, you know, he didn't even come out from behind his desk, you know, smoking his cigarette and drinking his coffee in his suit, <clears throat> you know, didn't even like look at my look where it hurt. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he wanted to do x-rays and he wanted to sit down with me and show me the x-rays and explain to me and show me how, nerves come out in between these bones and they go to these different internal organs and they affect these muscles and this is what these things can do and so for me when I started getting adjusted um, this was like a whole different world it was so much more interesting to me it was something I could do with my hands I could help people you know and really do something I didn't understand it all at the time and it's been a process to get where I am now but I just knew that sitting around handing out prescriptions just wasn't for me Mm-hmm. You know, like I had, there had to be something else. So, and I really kind of thought the more I learned about chiropractic, the more I found out about it, I just kind of kept falling more and more and more in love with it. So that was it. I switched all my stuff over and, you know, my pre-med and my pre-chiropractic classes were exactly the same. <laughs> so I didn't nice. have to, turns out I didn't have to change a thing. Nice. <laughs> so, so yeah, so that was it. And, um, went off to chiropractic college and which is a whole nother story. Maybe we'll get to about, you know, dads, but, um, ended up there and just, you know, life's just kind of blown me around. You know, went back to New York. I went to chiropractic college in LA, back to New York. Didn't feel comfortable in LA. Didn't feel comfortable in New York anymore. 
um, and had a weekend vacation down here in Virginia Beach. And I was like, man, this place is beautiful. Got the water. The mountains aren't far away. It's got like everything I need. So um, I'm going to, I'm young. I'm just going to do it. And I've been here ever since. Nice. So view on health, I think, is is overall our biggest issue right now is, um, you know, we're, we're, we're a medicine-based society that just wants to take a pill for every single thing, you know, and um, we're not really, sadly, willing to do the work to be healthy anymore. And, and, I, th- and I think that's a, you know, we've lost our, maybe a work ethic, but we've lost our, like, health work ethic, you know, like trying to do the things and making tough decisions and doing the work on what it takes to be a healthy living person in, in this life. Um, and, and we just keep taking the easy road, you know? And I think that's sad. You know, it's just, there's things that you can do to make your body healthier. If you're willing to eat a little different exercise, get adjusted, you know, there's things that can happen and, you know, it's just a different way of looking at life from our side to say you work the body, you make the body healthier and then you don't need all that other stuff. And in, in the world of medicine's view, I think it's just, you know, the body is so limited and has so many limitations to it that the only way you can survive is with this medication. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's something in us and a philosophy and the way that we look at things that we believe the body has the ability to heal itself. And if you give it a chance and you, you can really see some amazing things happen. And that's been my experience for 30 years of doing this. Wow. Uh, with the kids. Yeah, with the kids. <laughs> so uh, I remember with my daughter, um, a funny, like, it's kind of a funny story, but we went into, I had her when, you know, she's, I used to have her on weekends uh, when I split up with her mom. And, man, I, we had to take her to the doctor. She's in, she's in the bathroom and she says, daddy, it hurts when I pee. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, geez, <laughs> you know, I'm like, oh no. I'm like, all right, I have to get her in. So she turns out she's got a urinary tract infection and you know, the doctor's like, you know, is she allergic to any antibiotics? And I said, you know, um, I don't know. I'm like she's 10 years old. Yeah. You know, how does she not, how do you not know what she's allergic to or not allergic to? And I said, well, she's never had one. She never had antibiotics. At the age of 10. Oh, okay. Wow. Like, should, should, so, so he's looking at me like, so I'm just this idiot dad, <laughs> you know. Like, I don't know what the hell's going on. She's never had, yeah, right, she's never had an antibiotic. She's never had an ear infection. I was like, no. <laughs> he's like, what the, he's like looking at me like I'm a moron, you know. And I was like, no, she's been really healthy. <laughs> like, it was like. It was so hard for him to believe that a child could be healthy at 10 and never have been exposed to an antibiotic that he just thought I had to be an idiot, you know? (laughs) So (laughs) so I was was like, no, she's just been healthy. I adjust her. She's really good. So um, with my son, um, you know, this is a a tough story to tell, but, you know, we're in the middle of all this pandemic COVID stuff and – Right at the end of March, he um, comes home. It's a Friday morning, and the the school says, "Hey, he's got a fever. You know, you got to get him out of here." So uh, we go, we pick him up, and luckily, I happen to be off that Friday, and I am just looking at him, and and he's had a couple of colds, he's had a couple of fevers, you know. I, I'm like, my wife is just totally 
panicked and not to blame her because everybody's all we're hearing about is people dying from this you know infection and um she loves to watch the news and that's what she was seeing and she was just scared you know like a lot of people just scared and me i'm like okay i i got to adjust him you know and i adjust him and she rechecks his fever and the fever went down and so having adjusted my daughter and been through this experience and adjusted a lot of kids you know through the practice and stuff through the years i just realized that what we're doing is we're making the body or allowing the body to function better if we're removing that subluxation that doesn't necessarily mean that the fever is going to go down that means if the body is infected the fever may go much higher because that's what the body needs to do to fight what's in it so it's going to do whatever it has to do to to be healthy and and so I was like glad that the fever went down at first, but I had to caution her <laughs> because yeah. we're waking his body up and it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to stay down. It might calm something down initially, but his body's going to say, wait a minute, this infection's here. I, we have work to do. Let's do it. And so sure enough, his fever kept climbing, 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 climbing. She wanted to call the pediatrician. She did. Should we take him to the emergency room? They said, no, not unless his fever broke 105 or stayed over 105 with medication should we go to the emergency room. Because at that point, we would have had to drop him off at the door yeah. and walk away. And there was no way I was doing that with my son. There's no way. I don't know how any parent could say, no matter what's going on, that you're just going to just hand this kid off, you know, sick as can be in the situation we live in and say, yeah, go ahead and not be there next to them and by their side. So I was like, we're going we're gonna to fight this thing. And I was like, you, I just kept saying, through, I mean, all night long, I kept saying, you have to trust me because she was crying and panicked. And like I said, I don't blame her. She thought maybe we were losing our son. And uh, I said, just please, just please trust me. And I will tell you, if I'm scared, we're going. That I will tell you. <laughs> and we just worked it. And every hour she made me go check his temperature, you know, all through the night and report back. And she would be in the chair and she would cry and she would doze off. And I'd wake her up and tell her. And it was just like the longest night ever. Um, and I, I'd, I'd be lying if I didn't say I wasn't questioning some of my decisions, too, you know, in those moments because of what was going on. Any other time, I think I would have been just like, I got this. You know, he's got this. You know, his body knows what to do to heal this. And, uh, and but, you know, but they frankly didn't want us in the hospital. They weren't going to test him for COVID at the time. And, you know, it was early on and they, they had so few tests at that time that they weren't even letting anybody, very many people even have them. Mm-hmm. So it was like stay home and figure it out. And uh, around 4.30 in the morning on Saturday... Uh, I went in to check him, and uh, his fever was at 102. Mm-hmm. And then and I was able to doze off, and she was able to doze off for a little bit. And I went back in, set an alarm six, you know, went back in and checked him again. It was 101. And uh, he was very sluggish the next day, but he, mo- he was up and moving around a little bit. The day before, I mean, this kid's got a motor, man. He will run and race. He can't walk from one room into the next and he was planted on that couch. And the worst part was, and I forgot about this, but he actually said, Daddy, my chest hurts. I can't breathe. And that's when I was like, oh, my Lord. 
and I listened to his chest and I couldn't even count the heartbeats. He was like full on tachycardia from the fever. And I was like, holy cow, what's going to happen here? And again, it was another adjustment and he calmed down. So we did, I did have to, again, you know, I did have to give him a little Tylenol. <laughs> so, you know, to try and, you know, appease my wife and make him comfortable. Uh, but I would only give him like just like a quarter of the dose of what they said because I knew he needed to have that fever to fight that infection. Mm-hmm. And that's what his body, body was doing. So, yeah, we look at things different. I'm not opposed to medicine by any stretch of the imagination. I've had surgeries. I've had asthma. I take medication. You know, I'm not, I'm not against this stuff. It's just that we, there's things that can be done to make our bodies work better. We just can't ignore that. It's a fact that's been around for tens of thousands of years long before medicine was even thought about. So does that answer your story? Yeah. The question so, with all those stories. Bobby's fine, right? Bobby's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, just, Bobby's amazing. Yeah. He came out yeah. of it. Still talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a little bit where I was like waiting to hear like, so he's okay. Yeah. By Sunday, he was, by Sunday he was running around like a maniac again. That's awesome. I think, um, you know, I've, I guess I was, was that one of the hardest things you've sort of experienced as a dad right now? Yeah, I, I would say there's probably, you know, you say this, you try not to get choked up about it when you say it, but there's two, there's okay. two moments, okay. <laughs> there's two moments and I'm a bit of a, I, I can, I can go there. <laughs> I can shed a tear. Um, but yes, going through that process was to to date um, one of the toughest things because you know you just don't you know, as a parent. I mean, you, you never you, you want to you want to love your kids. You're there to protect your kids. You have a job to do, and mm-hmm. uh, to think your kid might die before you, or let alone right in front of you, is like horrifying. It's it's the worst of all nightmares, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, you know this, and I think about with my daughter. Um, I've known, and I and hopefully we'll get to talk about this. But I, I've always known I wanted to be a good dad uh, because of what my dad taught me—not in the best way, but he taught me mm-hmm. <laughs> how important it was. Um, and uh, the moment, um, you know, young age, in my I was early thirties. And splitting up with my uh, first wife and seeing my daughter, uh, I'll never forget it, standing at the door crying, the big glass door, you know, that she was behind. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was brutal. I mean, that was probably, that was, that was terrible, <laughs> you know, going back and thinking about that. And I'll never forget that moment, uh, driving away and just thinking like I really screwed up and I wasn't at all the good dad that I thought I was going to be. And a a friend of mine told me that um, you can still be a good dad. You know, it may not look exactly the way you thought it was going to look, you know, but there's a lot of things you can do to really be there in her life and be there for her. And it, and it, it turned out maybe a blessing. I don't know, but, um, you know, having her every single weekend, you know, having her 
all the time by my side. I mean, we created a hell of a relationship that uh, I almost almost sometimes feel bad. Like if you're in a miserable relationship with your most important person, uh, it's it's hard on the kids, man. It's hard. And yeah, I, I think you should always try and work through that and, and try and make it work because mom and dad together is the best. Um, but, you know, I, I can't even fight with my wife and really focus, <laughs> you know, until everything's fixed, mm-hmm. you know, let alone go days or weeks or months of being miserable in a relationship or years uh, and how that eats away inside of you and and try and be able to give your and you become closed down and protected and guarded and angry and and all these negative emotional things that happen to you and, and be a good parent. And, uh, you know, Nikki and I had a fresh start. We moved right up here to the beach, got a little apartment, and I uh, didn't have a lot of money. I was paying child support and get my business up and running and trying to do a lot of things. And, uh, you know, so we, we did a lot of no-money fun things, <laughs> we used to call them. So we would be at the beach. Uh, if it was the dead of winter, I was sitting on the beach playing Barbies with her or, uh, you know, summertime, and she's uh, I couldn't get her out of the water saying, hey, Daddy, watch this 7,000 times. <laughs> Because this headstand is going to be better than the last one. Yeah. Um, but it, it turned out great. But in that moment, man, it was it was brutal. Yeah. You know, I think um, so much, so many thoughts, like in my head, listening to your stories with your son and your daughter, and, and dealing with that. Um, the first thing that comes to mind is, you know, it's. It's like you almost have to trust yourself with regards to like when your kids are sick. It seems like that's what I'm gathering, you know, knowing when is the point to go, but like to the hospital or do these things, but also just trusting yourself. I was reading this book. I forget the name of it. It's by this doctor and he talks about how most sicknesses are, are over in 24 hours with kids and just to be patient. But like, you know, I've, my kids just, you know, 14, almost 15 months and I haven't had anything, but like anytime there's like a, a, a sickness or this hurt, it's like the first thing you want to do is panic, you know, and, and like freak out and you can't in that moment and you have to kind of trust your guidance and, you know, trust, you know, with my wife being a chiropractor as well and knowing that she has so much knowledge, you know, and, and I kind of refer to her if she freaks out, then I freak out. You know, that's kind of, that's kind of where I go with that, you know, and that's cool. But, but, um, it's just interesting how you mentioned the, the viewpoint of us. It's almost like it's more acceptable to be sick than to be healthy. Like that's our outcome is to be sick. Our outcome is to have pain. Our outcome is like, nothing's going to work out. Um, I remember hearing that with like when I would tell people that I worked with that my wife was pregnant and all of a sudden all they talked about were all the problems. Oh, just wait for this. Just wait for this. Just wait for this. And, and it was never like what good things could come of it. And so it's just really interesting that it feels like that's where we're at. It's like, it's okay to be sick and be in pain and nothing work out than to think that we can be healthy and that there's a chance that our body could could do these things that, that these wonderful things. Um, but then with the second thing you were talking about with, with what your friend said, I think 
I don't know for me, but there was like an archetype of what a dad was supposed to be. Mm, yeah. And as soon as you're not doing that, you failed. And I think that was incredibly powerful for your friend to say that you can still succeed. You know, you can still succeed in this just because it doesn't look like whatever. You don't look like the Cleavers or you don't look like the Cosbys. Yeah. You know, and, and if there's anything I've learned in this, this short year and a half that I've been in has been there is no archetype. You just do what you do and hope for the best and love as much as you can. So that's really powerful. I think, um, can I speak to that? Yeah, totally. It's a, um, so, so one of the things that kind of comes to mind when you say that is, is, you know, people will ask me all the time because of my age, how am I as far as a, sorry. It's all right. (laughs) That's my wife wondering when I'll be home. (laughs) I'll message her in a little bit. Um, yeah, so for me, it's looking at how I was as a dad with my daughter and what a dad was at 30 mm-hmm. versus being a dad at 55. And people ask me that question all the time. And I'm like, you know, I had my own ideas of what a dad should be or how to protect my family and look out for my daughter and how to raise my kid. And, and it meant going to work, mm-hmm. you know. And then making a living and financially providing, you know, for her. Um, And then still trying to find this balance of being able to have fun and play Barbies on the weekend, (laughs) you know, and and connect with her. Um, Read her stories at night before she went to bed and thousands of times of reading Dr. Seuss, all the places you'll go. (laughs) And, uh, and with my son it's different because you know i'm at a different point in my career it's not i'm not really doing it necessarily for the money anymore it's more a love and a passion and and i'm really clear how important being present with him is now is and and i wish maybe i had a little bit more of that with my daughter but i know i did a pretty good job of it and she hopefully she'll tell you that too but um, trying to be able to throw that switch of work and present with family is, is really difficult. Um, but then really being able to just be there in those moments and be vulnerable and be connected and, and love them and laugh with them and listen to them and, and not be on your phone and not be watching TV and when they're trying to have a conversation with you. It's, just, it's, it's hard, you know. I can look through my reception area sometimes when I'm adjusting patients. I'll look up and, you know, kids are running around the office and everybody's looking down on their phone, you know. And even a lot of the kids are on on their own phones now too. So they were not connecting. And that's what I think from a society, I think we're going to, we're losing that connection. Mm-hmm. It's And I'm worried about that because we're not learning how to build relationships and um, on so many different levels and, and really connect with another human being and communicate with another human being. And mm-hmm. now it's all about texting and did you send the right emoji or not, you know, with the text, you know, it's like that's <laughs> losing, you're even losing the style of communication with each other. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, it's, it's a little different being a dad at 55 than 30. And it's kind of cool because you kind of talked about kind of the role of a dad. You know, you said it, 
it kind of changes from provider to someone who's just present and there. Um, and it's not like you can stop being a provider, but like what's more like at the end of the day, what's the most important thing? Um, yeah, the balance of, of providing and being there. Um, so yeah, totally. Oh yeah. Once. Yeah. So, um, what was your dad like? And is there anything that like he's done or did that you've taken into fatherhood or even like his example, maybe you've done the opposite or like lessons, things like that. So, um, my dad, it's a, this is a, this could take hours to get through, but I'll try not to make it be that because it's been a, it's been a big story, um, in and of my life. Um, and I see things differently now. And again, looking back and being a a more mature dad with a young boy, it's, I see myself in him sometimes. Um, and I see how I might've been frustrating to my dad, (laughs) you know, and didn't understand it. Mm -hmm. So, uh, in hindsight, it's always great, but, uh, young, um, my dad was a hardworking dude, you know, liked his beer, but worked his butt off, you know, to take care of his family. He was always gone, always working. Uh, something happened um, to this date. Um, sadly, both of my parents are, are past now, but um, to this date, I still don't know what happened. But whether it was something just gradually over time, things happened or some event occurred that we kids never found out about. You know, parents are a little more closed off back then about what's going on in their personal lives. And uh, things changed in our home. Uh, You know, this super clean, neat place that we lived in uh, started getting dirty. You know, my mom didn't clean as much. Uh, You know, my dad drank more. I don't know which came first. You know, I'm too, too, was too young to remember. Um, eventually, you know, we had more kids, and um, I took on an almost parenting role for my younger brother and sister. Uh, my dad chose the bar over coming home, and when he did come home, it was a wrath of mess of stuff way too often uh, where we would all just sit and kind of fear until he passed out. Um so he was miserable about something, you know, and then when he had a stroke at 57, just a couple of years from my age, uh, now massive one and, uh, was never able to really speak anything other than of, of course, curse. <laughs> What's the only, the only words he got back was F bombs all, all over the place, but he was able to use them in different tones. So we knew what he meant. <laughs> um, but it was it was tough that those later years, probably even harder on my younger brother and sister, because um, we had a good piece of him where he we would go on trips together and do things together, you know, little day trips, go to the mountains, or he would take take me fishing or something like that. And um, but later things just it was just an angry mess 
of stuff. And I don't really never was able to find out what that was all about. But I remember being a, about 14 or 15 years old and uh, I was in a, we were in a very small house. We were definitely the, the poor people of a middle income place that we lived in. And, uh, you know, where my, my dad's money went to the bar and I had two jobs even at that age to, uh, try and help them pay the mortgage and electric and oil and trying to keep the house warm. And there was a lot of nights where we all sat around a kerosene heater in the living room with a black ceiling from the smoke, um, trying to keep the house warm, you know, in New York winters. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, things were hard, and just whatever triggered it, I don't exactly remember, but um, I remember crying, you know, just sobbing and angry and so pissed off and just swearing to myself that my kids were never, ever, ever going to grow up like this. I don't know what I was going to do or how I was going to do it, but this is not how my children were going to be brought up. Um, but I think about that moment. I think about that moment and it, it drove me. I mean, it drove me through the the hard times of chiropractic college. It drove me through when all my friends were at the bar partying and I was home studying. And um, it, it drove me to get through so many moments. It was sadly out of anger, <laughs> you know, that I got a lot of things done. But it served me to get to where I am. Mm-hmm. Um, when my dad passed a few years back, I was on actually a cruise uh, with my daughter and it was for my friend's birthday. And uh, my friend Mark Socho and great, great, great chiropractor here in Virginia Beach. And he, um, you know, we got the word and, and I knew my family was like, you know, you got to get home and you've got to, you've got to do the eulogy and, you know, it's all up to me again in the moment. And I was like, I'm on a cruise ship. And ironically, we were being chased by a hurricane out to sea. We weren't even going back into port anymore. I was like, well, you're going to have to put the funeral off because I don't even know if I'm even going to make it, let alone be able to get off the ship, you know. And it was, again, it was a, a bit of a blessing, though, because it gave me this time to just sit on the balcony because there was nothing to do on the ship because it was rocking so much. Everything was closed and we couldn't do anything barely but eat. Um, I sat on the balcony. I just wrote, you know, and I wrote and I wrote and I wrote and I journaled and I, I put together this eulogy of... Uh, you know, which is kind of crazy, but I remember I got a standing ovation from everybody <laughs> at the funeral. It was crazy mm-hmm. to even think about, but um, the the that I had really learned, you know, the things that I had learned, I learned from my dad to be the man I am today. I didn't always like the way he taught me the lesson, mm-hmm. um, but I don't know if I'd be this good a dad or be this passionate about being a good father if I hadn't gone through that experience. And so, yeah, I mean, that sucked, but I sh- shouldn't even say, but I should say that sucked. And this is where I am in my life. Like the, being a great dad is more important to me than anything. And that's, that's, I can, you know, help thousands of patients and I love being a chiropractor and I love helping people and seeing them turn their lives around and the health that they get back. 
under my care. I love being a coach and a consultant that helps other chiropractors raise their practice up to help thousands of more people that I get to indirectly touch, so to speak, in a way that, you know, I feel like I'm having a positive impact on stuff, but there's nothing that can match a hug from my adult daughter that means so much to her or being there for her in a moment of need or my son when I open the door at the end of a day to just run at me screaming daddy because he's so excited that I just came home mm-hmm. and and I, I don't know if I could appreciate all that if I didn't go through those experiences that I went through with my dad um, so yeah he taught me this stuff but it was I mean you know really bottom line I wish it was a different way <laughs> you know a lot of crying, a lot of upsetment, a lot of fighting, a lot of, a lot of issues even to this day that you know my brothers and sisters are trying to heal through, from some of the stuff we went through. But, um, but there is a positive in it too, mm-hmm. as much as it was there was bad. You mentioned the stuff that you learn. What are like a couple of the things? Like, what do you mean by the stuff? Like, expand, if you can think like specifics. This is my one absolute favorite um, gem from my dad, and uh, and I will definitely pass it on to my son because it will happen. I've passed it on to my stepson, um, and Pat and my brother, because <laughs> um, he wasn't there in that moment. He was uh, he's eleven years younger than me, <clears throat> but he said I, I had this moment. I was all feeling good about myself and, you know, I was trying to work out and, uh, you know, get myself bigger and stronger as a teenager. And my mom asked me to do something. I don't remember what it was. I remember she was in the kitchen. I was walking past her and I told her to F off. (laughs) And never in my life, I love my mom. She's an amazing woman on so many levels uh, I couldn't even believe that I said it. I don't know if it was the testosterone of being a young teenager and just finishing working out. I don't know what it was, but it came out. And I was too embarrassed to apologize. Um, I kept walking away. You know, her thing was, you go, you go back to your room and you stay there till your father comes home. You know, and I remember sitting there, you know, for a few hours waiting waiting, 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 how is this going to go? You know, he's going to scream at me, he's going to, you know, all the things, because that was his way. And, uh, I don't know, maybe he got it from his dad, I don't know, maybe he just invented it in the spot, but he came down the stairs into the basement where I was, and I was sitting there like, here comes, you know, and he sat down next to me, and he goes, let me ask you a question. And I was like, okay. And he says, if you're walking down the street with your mother and somebody says to her what you just said, what would you do? I said, well, I'll knock his block off or something to that effect in that moment, you know. He says, well, then what gives you the right to ever talk to your mother like that? And it just hit me like a ton of bricks. Like it was the most logical, simple explanation that every man who has a mom 
would know he would do anything to protect her. Every father who has a daughter would do everything to protect them. I hope um, that's they, they feel that inside. Um, and it was just like, it just made so much sense. It was so clean. It was so simple. And then he just got up and walked away. And this whole thing that I thought in my head was going to be this horrible moment still sticks with me like today. Like it was the best advice he's ever given me. Never, ever did I ever swear at my mother again. <laughs> it's so f- <laughs> it's just so funny to think about what you were expecting versus what you got yeah. and I know that as a kid the moments that stick out the most aren't when your parents are doing what you expect but when they do what you don't expect and it's that quiet that calm that like oh he's serious um and i kind of i think it's funny how as a teacher the kids listen when i'm quieter versus when they yell when i yell and i've rarely ever had to yell but there's something about a man being quiet and coming down and looking, probably looking them in the eye and just talking to them. That is, it's, it's louder than a yell. And, and I think that, man, (laughs) just, just think, you just think about that. And it's, and I think it's one of those things. It's almost like you needed to know that you needed to, to experience that because of what that what how that you've taken that with you know your life and that's so thank you for sharing that story um man the only times that my dad ever my dad was a more sensitive kind of softer kind of guy but the only time he's ever hardened up on us or it was something about how we talked to my mom um, and so I knew that, okay, you had to treat, you had to treat women a certain way, yeah. you know, and it, that's cool. And I'm glad that you got to experience that. I, you know, it's, I'm hearing your story and it's kind of interesting. Like, it's almost like you've been a father for a long time, yeah. you know, like not just with, you know, your biological kids, but like you were a father to your brothers and sister. Yeah. And then being you know with your business i kind of before we started recording i called you a cairo dad to a couple other you know you're through your business you were able to you know help raise up a couple other doctors here dr marco cordo and stephen gentner here and do you think that it's just been like are you surprised at that or is it just i mean did you become i don't know it's just such a wild thing to to notice if I like step back and look at your life in this snapshot, like you've been a dad a long time. Yeah, I mean, I I never looked at it that way until you just said it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can't I can't deny that. I mean, I. My my younger sister, who's nine years younger than me, will always like tease like you are our dad, you know. Mm-hmm. Um. I took my youngest brother to his first baseball game and you know, we did so many things together and bonded on that way. And 
you know, being a dad's funny though, man, because you gotta, I think, I think, I think we try and be like friends with our kids, you know, you hear this all the time though, but you can't, you can't be a dad and be your kid's friend. Like you, you, they look up to you a certain way. They, they're not going to ever look up to their friends like that. They might envy some other kid, but they're not going to look up to the type of respect that they have for parents in the beginning. And, and you got to keep that alive, you know, through the teenage years, which is difficult. Um, cause they think other things are so much more important, but, um, but you got to be a dad. I mean, you got to be hard sometimes, you know, you got to know when to lower the boom and you got to know when to be soft and, or at least try and do your very best that you can in those moments. Cause if you're in, you know, if you're just screaming and yelling all the time, when you're quiet, everybody goes, what's going on? You know? And if you're quiet all the time and you scream, then everybody's like, what's going on? You know, it's, wait, this isn't right. This is different. You know, this is really important. Um, so yeah, the quiet pause, you know, with my dad was a shocking change, but it was shocking and that's what I needed. I needed to be shocked in that moment. And sometimes as a dad, you got to do that. You got to shock the kids, you know, to teach them really important things in life. But being able to do that, I mean, yeah, we do that with, I've done that with other chiropractors and raising them up through the years too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my love of being a coach or a consultant and raising up other chiropractors all over the country. I mean, yeah, I'd, I guess the key is I just really enjoy raising people up, you know, inspiring them, raising them up. If I know that I've made their life a little better, it makes all of the other stuff I went through seem to be like it had a purpose. Yeah. It's kind of like, you had to go through the shit to be the man that you are yeah. and to have the impact that you've had, yeah. um, which is a, it's a, it's a wild thing. Cause I don't know. I think for us as people, we don't want to go through stuff. We want it to be like safe and easy, but you know, it's, it's the people that make the most impact are not the people that have had it easy. They're the people that have, have felt pain have felt suffering have have known what it's like to have fear to be without to be with lack to not hit the mark you know and 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 so it's it's kind of like i don't know like yeah i wish that it didn't happen for you like it did but look at the impact that you've had not just with your kids but with all these other people you know i go to these coaching conferences and we hear your name you know, and we see it and I see all these other doctors that have been helped because of you. And, and it's an incredibly cool thing to witness. So right on with that. Um, but to go back to your thought about like the dads being friends, um, (laughs) I, when I started teaching, um, I wanted my kids to fear me and love me. Um, because the first people I've ever been scared of, well, the first person ever was my mom. I mean, I, I have a, even now, even her just, I mean, she's getting on in years and stuff. There's a part of me that still fears her anger because I know what it's like, but, but there's a, I call it the righteous fear. It's not like a fear that you're going to be in pain, but it's like, you don't want to disappoint. 
and so you can't be like when I was a te- when I was a teacher and even as a counselor when I was I worked at a, ca- a camp for God, so many years um I wanted my the the kids in my cabin to fear me and love me because I knew that if they feared me when I was serious about something it's because it's either unsafe or it's important and if they listened to me then they weren't going to run around right by the ravine and then fall in and hurt themselves. They weren't going to go into the woods when it was dark and they didn't know where they were. They weren't going to go into the tall grass where there's the snakes and there's the things. And with my kids, my students, they're not going to just, they're not going to settle because they knew that they know that, you know, they could probably do more. And so it's really powerful for someone to be feared and loved at the same time, you know, and, and they loved me in the fact that they knew that like what I was saying to them wasn't just bullshit. It was important. So they're going to fucking listen and they're going to do it, you know? And I think that's, that's kind of a role as a dad too. Yeah. They got to fear you in the right way, way. you know? So, um, what's been the funniest thing about being a dad? Man, I, I've I've had so much fun with my kids. Um, to to pick a funniest uh, is really 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 difficult because it's like an overarching. Yeah, man, it's just I tell you, the, there's nothing that really makes me happier if I can take it that way to than hearing my kids laugh. Um. I love their laughter. I love their when I can, when I've seen my kids learn something, overcome something, figure something out, you know, if it's the tiniest little thing of learning how to write their name or tie their shoe on into, you know, overcoming some major obstacle as they've gotten older and and have some kind of breakthrough of some sort that man, I'm just so freaking proud of them, you know. And it's just and, and again, I love that when I see my patients do that as well, you know, see them come through those things. But it's more powerful, obviously, when it's your kids to see them get through stuff. So, uh, you know, but my son, man, I mean, he can freaking run around. He'll dress himself all up into like Spider-Man clothes or Batman clothes. And he runs around the house and all he talks about is he's gonna say I'm saving the day, <laughs> you know, and uh and he's just, he's hysterical. He's just funny, and he's just got this laugh that uh, it's super freaking contagious. And it, you just can't keep a straight face when he gets giggling, and you're tickling him, and he's laughing, and it just it bleeds through everything. Yeah. So it's just I, I, happiness is everything. I is is all of it. Um, yeah. But the but funniest moment, man, there's just been so many, so many good 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 times with these kids. Has there been anything like, I always think about what's the easy thing about being a dad, but when I think about that, like not easy, like, is there something that like, just kind of, you're in that moment, it just kind of clicked into place. You know what I mean? Like, that's what I mean by easy because being a dad, you know, it's not like it's the easy thing, but has there been something being a dad that it was just like, you're in the moment, it happens. And then you're like, Oh, it's over. Oh, okay. Like, that was easy. Um, easy. 
so effortless maybe so the th- when you when you say that and maybe this fits and maybe it doesn't but the the moment of being able to be straight up in the moment mm-hmm. of connecting in a hug or th- that moment that your kid falls asleep on you you know and cuddles with you um and just falls asleep on you and just i mean just that they lay their head down and they're relaxed and they're so comfortable in that moment like that's there's there's just something about that feeling man it's just i just i love that love that moment okay that works for me <laughs> yeah. Easiest, but yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. Um, ease into that moment. <laughs> yeah, I I get you. I'm hearing you. What's has there anything that you've like? I guess the hardest thing about fatherhood. Maybe I'm presumptuous, but do you think like it's the divorce has been the hardest thing about being a dad, or is there something else? I think. I think the 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 hardest thing is for me has been. Those were hard moments, mm-hmm. um, but the hardest thing that I'm always trying to work on is turning off uh, Dr. Bob work mm-hmm. and turning that all off, 100% out, and being dad mm-hmm. and and husband, especially husband first, right? Um, and being able to just be completely present in my home when I walk in the home because that's that's hard because you're going, 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 going all day and you have all these employees and you have all this responsibility and who knows, things went good, things went horrible. You want to celebrate or you want to pout or whatever it is and your family didn't have any of that experience that day and they want to tell you about their experience that day and being able to just kind of shut that switch off and just really be present and listen to their stories um, after you've heard a hundred stories that day, <laughs> you know, and being able to just put it all off and just be really present is the thing that I think is, um, the hardest. And I, I, I'm better at it at 55 than I was at 30. Um, but I, I would like to still keep working on it mm-hmm. and still try to make it better. Oh yeah. That presence thing is a big thing. Um, <laughs> I just think about all the things that my kid wants to show me and he can't even talk and I just have to be present with him. Um, Cause he's like, it's yeah, I know. Just wait. That's what, yeah, I know. Um, I think about like uh, my wife and I joke all the time that, that he's in his lizard brain moments. And so it really, he doesn't fucking care about whatever's going on. He just knows he's either hungry, tired, pissed off, or he wants to do something that you're not letting him do. Yeah. And that presence in that moment is the hardest thing. Um, what's helped you to be present? Do you think it's age or do you think there's other things too? Uh, it, it has to be, for me, it has to be something that you recognize as something that is important. Mm-hmm. First of all, you have to be aware enough to even know you're not being present. Mm-hmm. Um so that was like a process just to even notice there was another way of being other than just you're just going a hundred miles an hour and you come home and you're still going a hundred miles an hour, you know, and, 
and have all your reasons and excuses on why you have to be that way that you want to hold on to. Um, and for me, like I said, you know, like wanting to be a really good dad, I had to keep going back into this is not being a good dad and I got to work on this and 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 just, and still this many years later, still working on it. Um, cause I still, I think I'm pretty good at it, but I still fall into that pitfall and those traps, you know, especially if it's a very big, bad day or a very big, good day. And I want to just tell everybody, Oh, you know, come in with all my stuff and, um, and still trying to make it all about them. So it's a constant process of just being, of being aware um, one of my favorite things to say to myself in relationships over the last few years is what do I want to create in this moment? So if it's um, in the middle of an argument with my wife or am I doing the right thing with my son or there's a crisis that we're dealing with or I'm just trying to train my brain to think that thought as early into the conversation as possible before it gets too far out of control because I it's so easy to add anger to anger um, and elevate and escalate the emotion of anger and not and that's not where I want to where I want to go or what I want to create with this person that's in front of me that I love so I'm practicing trying to trigger that thought as early into the conversation as possible what do I want to create right now this is not what I want to create so talking this way is not going to create what I want to create feeling what I'm feeling right now is not going to create what I want to create so I need like to reset and go back and be in that moment of what it is I want to create and then build that conversation from there or I don't care how tired I am I remember being in my son's space and my dad not spending time with me and how important that was I'm tired but I'm getting on the floor and we're going to play you know or maybe daddy plays with you while he sits in the chair, <laughs> you know, for a little bit. But I'm going to interact and, and, and take that time and take that moment because it's just too important. Just want you to know that I wrote down what do I want to create in this moment. I mean, that's that's like a mantra that I want to, I mean, <laughs> we could stop it right now. <laughs> and just... Just think about like, yeah, what do you want to create in this moment is, is powerful. I mean, geez, it also takes self-awareness like you're saying, but man, that's awesome. Takes so many years just to become yeah. To just think about like in this moment, this is happening and I'm look. you could, you know, I'm either yelling at my wife or, or, or getting frustrated with my kid. And it's like, I'm creating, you know, either violent, not violence, but just like I'm creating negative stuff that I'm not going to get this moment back. Right. I mean, man, thank you for sharing that, that little sentence with, with me. I want to start now. Yeah. <laughs> just keep practicing. Just keep over practicing, the man. <laughs> um, do you think there's anything you would do over? That's a that's a tough question because you know if if you asked me that probably when I was in my thirties I would have probably told you a whole mess of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, being fifty five, and how I look back on my life, I don't know that I would change anything because I don't know if I could be here without it. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, I almost feel like I want to 
pause on that for a second because I don't I don't want to say I don't have any regrets necessarily, but I don't I don't know if I could be here and here is is really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, the relationship I have with my wife is amazing because I've evolved to this level of being to be able to be the man I am in relationship with her, my mm-hmm. who I am as a dad uh, to my son, my daughter, my two stepdaughters. The the fact that they they all get along so well, uh, and I hear so many stories of so many parents that it's so hard they can't even be in relationship because of the way their their kids are being towards the other spouse in a in a new relationship. You know, you're not my dad. You know your stepdad and all that stuff that they have to go through. And I've, I've had very little of that um, in my life. So that's kind of a, I feel like that's a blessing. And um, like I say, you know, my, my stepkids, I, I struggle to keep in touch with them with everything that's going on in their life and they're adults and they're living their lives and um, they're doing their things too. And, um, but I always do everything I can to make sure they know that I still love them. Mm-hmm. you know and that's said over and over and over again and if I'm doing something wrong I apologize <laughs> you know even if it's in their eyes and I don't see it um, I'm going to take responsibility for it and say how do I make it better I think um, any leadership as I've learned through the years is not telling everybody what to do but to take responsibility for the problem no matter how far up the chain you are and say well, if you did this down here, then I didn't train you right. And it's still my responsibility to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you shouldn't have been in that position. And so, so how do I fix that? You know, how do we communicate better? How do we do that? And so always t- trying to take responsibility first. I mean, it's, it's so much. I mean, there's so much to, to try and get in here, but, um, those are some of the biggest things I can I can come up with and think about. Yeah, I think um, one of the biggest things for me with like either as a kid dealing with adults, as a kid dealing with teachers, the one thing that was never said was they were wrong. So that made me wrong all the time. And there's such a power in adults taking responsibility in front of kids because it I don't want to say like it makes being wrong okay but it takes it just kind of diffuses things um the last thing that I want my students to know is that I'm perfect because I'm not because that's a false thing because I think those students are going to chase perfection same thing with my kid I don't want him to think that I'm perfect I want him to see that see an adult deal with mistakes that they've made and taking ownership because taking ownership and responsibility for your life and for your choices. I mean, if a kid can learn that at five, think of, think of how many mistakes they're not going to make because of that. And I think that's really powerful. And we learn from mistakes. Yeah, we do learn from our mistakes. We learn from our failures, right? Yes. I keep passing the mic back and forth, but go ahead. We, 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 we we have to have them. I mean, there's books written on the most successful people are the ones that have failed the most. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to be willing to fail a hundred times, a thousand times to, you know, would Edison the light bulb a thousand times or whatever before he figured it out. I mean, it's like 
you've got to you got to fail. And I think we're, we're part of our society right now is to try to protect each other from failure, you know, mm-hmm. but we're, we're never going to learn. Yeah. We're never going to figure it out. You got it. You got to know what an F is. You never going to know what an A is. Oh my God. Yeah. You know, there's, there's no difference then. Mm-hmm. So it's, so it's, you've, you've, you, there's, was it Khalil Gibran wrote that the prophet, right. Yeah. And he's in the seat of sorrow is the, seed of joy like you can't go through sorrow unless you've experienced incredible joy to have lost it to feel the sorrow and you can't have the joy unless in the seed of that joy it being taken away would create great sorrow and the same thing with being successful like you can't unless you know and you've worked and you've created and you failed you don't know what success is it's you're just puttering along it's just not the same Mm -hmm. so and we need that. We need that as human beings, I believe, in our core to, to, to fail but to strive and not give up and get up one more time and those types of things that we can, again, as fathers, we can teach this to our kids. Like, yeah, it's okay. You lost the game. That's all right. Just it's, let's look at what you did and let's see if we can do it better next time, you yeah. know? I think about the movie Inside Out where the emo- – you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And um, there's this one memory that Joy fixates on at a hockey game where, where the, the main character is being like lifted up by this whole team and like, no, we can't lose that, we can't lose that, we can't lose that. And it's, it's all about Joy and she has to remember that. But then the, the sadness comes in and is holding on to that. Shows that like right before that moment was this, they had lost a game or lost something. And like Joy realizes that you need it all. And it's a cool thing. Um, yeah. Um, so what do you, we talked about your role kind of, you kind of shared about the role of a dad as like provider and presence. Was there anything that you think you would expand on that? Cause I feel like we kind of, no, cause I really, yeah. you know, I think understanding the whole, you know, it, my role looks different to me now than it did when I was younger. Mm-hmm. You know, a 20 year old dad just isn't going to be the same as a 50 year old dad. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, of course I'm a grandfather now too, on top of a dad. But, um, so it, it's a, it's a weird, it's a weird time, but it's to be in a more mature life experience stuff. And I've had the opportunity because of what I've gone through to really look at my life and analyze my life and take responsibility for my life and how can I make it better and read, hundreds of books and uh, listen to different things and audios and tapes and to talk to successful people and, uh, you know, follow that stuff and put all that work in, Um, you know, to be a better person. I, I, I I don't want to sound conceited or cocky on any level because there's far more richer people than me and there's probably better dads out there than me, but I just, I'm, I'm happy with where I am right now. You mentioned your granddad. Is there is there anything that you've noticed that changed being a granddad? You're my first granddad on this podcast. I'm my first my first granddad. Oh, <laughs> um, do that sideways. I know. I don't know if you weren't expecting. Yeah, no, I wasn't. But it, it it's you know my grand my grandparents were people that I really looked up to, um, growing up as a kid, and 
on my mom's side and my dad's side. They you know really respected who these people were. That's the way we grew up. I don't know if that's really the way it is now, mm-hmm. um, but I I don't necessarily want to say that I expect that of my grandkids, but I'm trying to emulate who they were that made me feel that way, mm-hmm. um, and and trying to set that example um, for them because my grandparents seemed to do things differently than my parents did, and 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 so. And I was able to see that, you know, you do your sleepovers and you see how they do things differently in their home than my parents did in their home. And um, so I'm trying to, to try and continue on with that, uh, pass on that, so to speak, thing that I've learned from them. Mm-hmm. And and I, I love the example of what my grandparents set for me to what I wanted to have in a relationship and how I wanted to communicate in a relationship and the ethics and morals and things that they taught me that were so important. 40 years ago um, that maybe aren't as much anymore but I believe them still to be just as important so I want to pass those on to my kids my granddaughter is a year older than my son so he is that his niece is a year older than him <laughs> wow. right and he now has a nephew who's younger than him um, but there's just a love there man it's just like you just like I said, there's something about being in this place in your life where you just realize how important the people and the community and the family are. Mm-hmm. Um, it's precious. It's precious. You just don't want to lose any of those moments. You want to be with them as much as you possibly can. Um, you know, when I was younger, I just wanted to be at work. I wanted to provide for my family. I just had to be at work. I had to work more hours. I had to make more money. I had to take care of my family. Mm-hmm. Uh, that take care of my family part was still there. It just looked different. Yeah, grandparents are awesome. I have one of my biggest tattoos on my arm is because of my grandpa Mm -hmm. and how great he was. Um, Yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome. It's so fun. I just don't think of you as a grandpa, but here you are, you are, but it's it's awesome. I don't either. Some mornings when I wake up and get out of bed, I feel like. Yeah. I guess, you know, what is, it's, this is probably the hardest question, but what does fatherhood mean to you? That's the, I think, all-encompassing closing moment. What is fatherhood? Wow. Um, So I guess, I guess what I just said in a way is kind of it. I think fatherhood is an all-encompassing conversation there's you you want to be a man that your kids want to look up to mm-hmm. um to me that's what a father is and i know there are uh blended families with stepdads mm-hmm. um that these guys are coming in and they're not their kids and but you want to be that guy that those kids really look up to and you're, in order to do that, you've got to make difficult choices. And, you know, we're guys. So there's, there's things inside of us that are just, you know, we want to do crazy things and dumb things. And we want to hang out with guys. And we want to talk about women a certain way when we're with the guys, you know. And we are, 
and we're and there's just you just you just got to make choices in those moments to not necessarily follow along with what everybody else is doing. You've got to you've got to be and treat women like, you know, like they're your daughters. They're somebody's daughter, man. You know, and you have to be that example to the best that you possibly can to your kids of what you would want them to see of you. It maybe sounds a little deep, but I think that I mean, that's maybe it. You know, you want you want to be able to pass on to your kids to know that, hey, someday you're not going to be here anymore. Are they going to be better off for knowing you or, or not? I mean, are they, you know, I mean, teaching them to read and write and color and, uh, you know, and, and later on how to communicate and, how to treat other people and and how to fish and you know one of the greatest things is my dad teaching me how to grill you know like I just like I remember him sitting out there with a can of beer cooking us grilling us chicken on the barbecue and he would spend hours making his sauce you know and mm-hmm. you know to, to me I just want to I've got this thing inside of me I love grilling for my family you know like that's still ingrained in me because that was a connecting and bonding moment so it's all encompassing, but it's really, I mean, we got to make some tough choices sometimes to be a great father. And we have to realize what's ultimately, like I said to you before, what is ultimately what's most important? What do I want to create in this moment as my mantra? Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I think it's a good place to, to stop. I think we, I'm very grateful for you to come on. Uh, I say this every time, but I never take it lightly that you're willing to come here and share your story and allow me to project it to the world. So thank you for coming on. I think uh, it's been fun. Um, And yeah, you're a great dad and you're a great dude. And I've, you know, in the, the times that we've hung out, I think I've seen that. So it's awesome. So thank you for being here. Um, yeah and as always guys be excellent to each other and we'll see you on the other side